to episode 27 of Super States, Practices of Transformation, with me, your host, Joshua Peters. Super States explores the connection of using trance states for personal or professional growth. And in each episode, we talk to world-class leaders, industry experts, and revolutionary thinkers who all share the latest information, tools, and their own personal stories that are there to help inspire you on your journey. This week, I talk with Anthony David Adams. Anthony is an artist, an activist, and a coach. He's one of the most creative thinkers I know, and I'm honored to have him share his work today on the podcast. Grab a cup of coffee, sit back for a fascinating conversation about leadership, psychedelics, and personal growth with Anthony David Adams. Welcome to Super States, Anthony David Adams. I'm, I'm, I'm psyched to have you on the show with us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, a Anthony, if you could, first of all, just describe what you do and then how that impacts people's lives. So I run a I run a group called Earth Pilot, and we we operate under the belief that the we're all on this spaceship called Planet Earth. The steering system for that spaceship is human culture, and that leadership is about getting uh, getting access to culture. Leadership is about taking responsibility for culture and learning how to how to change that to so this bigger thing that we're in can navigate. Um, and we do that with some really practical tools, and that looks like. Uh, things like one-on-one -on -one coaching with some of the most incredible kind of cultural leaders in the world um, from technology to professional sports to um, actors and, and performers and celebrities and that type of thing. We also do policy and advocacy work. So we've done like a lot of work in the not like starting nonprofits or doing policy advocacy and things that we feel like will advance culture. Um, and then we also do work in technology. So for example, now for the last couple of years, we have a, an AI research lab that's doing some really interesting things. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's really at the intersection of how can we as individuals and collectively take conscious responsibility for culture in a deeper way. Great. Yeah. And Anthony, I know that you have a wide uh, experience in history in lots of different types of uh, call them super states, uh, I think going even back to your childhood. Um, why don't you share with us in however way you want to your, uh, your backstory, like how you got to this point, how, how you got yeah. to be this, this person that you are now? Yeah. Well, it, you know, in, in terms of the, like my interest in consciousness, really it's been something since, you know, it's like anything else, like from a very early age, since I was a kid, you know, um, I was I was creating software uh, for the Macintosh. I created a, a self help program back in the in the late nineties. So I was like not even ten years old, and I made software and was selling this journaling program on the internet. I was also conducting little experiments with my family around um, like, like subliminal suggestion and things things like this, and, and mm -hmm. really interested in studying um, shamanism and the occult. Really, from a young age, um, was fascinated with mushrooms i was always like making and sculpting mushrooms and um made a stop motion animation film of this bear that ate a mushroom and had like a trip you know and as a kid and at some point 
I got really fascinated with psychedelic culture, like just with the music and kind of the sixties and this type of thing. And, um, and at some point I was, I remember reading, there was a book called acid dreams that mm -hmm. was talking about, um, kind of the history of LSD and how the CIA was giving LSD to people kind of, uh, without their, out there knowing. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was around that time that I was reading that book. I must, I might've been 16 years old that these two guys that were like Marines, they were like still in high school, but they had been, they joined the Marines and they were about to join, they were about to go off to, you know, to boot camp or something, uh, put LSD in my Powerade at lunch, Gatorade or Powerade or something at lunch. So I had this kind of, it was almost like a poetic experience of experiencing LSD for the first time, you know, from these two government military guys, like dose without my knowing while wow. I'm reading this book about how that's how LSD entered the mainstream consciousness. So, um, and, you know, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of psychedelics and, um, you know, got really into psychedelic culture, kind of just as an explorer and as like, you know, as a, as a teenager, like, like a mischievous causing trouble, you know, like yeah. I found LSD more interesting than alcohol that my friends were drinking. So, you know, um, and man, the story can, can get weird, but I took a big break. Let's put it this way. I took a break from psychedelics for most of my twenties. Um, I had some really challenging mental health stuff come up during my twenties, things like psychosis and suicide mm -hmm. and um, anxiety and just all kinds of stuff. And so I spent a lot of time in these kind of extreme states of sobriety. So like no caffeine, no alcohol, no mm -hmm. marijuana, like just being very like kind of disciplined in a certain way, trying to understand my mind in this way. Yeah. Um, and it was helpful. I think I'm probably living because I, I, I did stay sober for so long. But then it's at a certain point, um, I did return back to psychedelics for a period of time in a healing context. So I revisited uh, MDMA, for example, I guess it was in my early 30s, under the guidance of mentors and things like this. And, and I mm -hmm. used it in an effort to heal some things and to, and to confront some things that Western psychiatry was saying were impossible kind of in the, in the Western psychiatric yeah. paradigm to heal, you know, schizoaffective, bipolar, these types of things. And, um, I found them to be really quite helpful, you know, um, through that, through that process. And, um, along the way I, I, I became an underground guide, you know, as an activist, I, I found that this was a, opportunity to help other people that were kind of in the same place I was that had, whether they had PTSD or they had some ailment that Western psychiatry was failing them and they, they were curious about psychedelics. And so I was asked to become a guide in that way. And I did, I did that for a number of years, mm -hmm. worked with um, dozens, if not hundreds of people, in some capacity um, and uh, started the nonprofit to decriminalize psychedelics in partnership with Dr. Bronner's and um, they kind of culminated that kind of the pinnacle of that psychedelic work was really um, this PBS special that we did, you know, to um, mm -hmm. where I, I became the first person, I guess, in history to, to, to administer underground MDMA in an open manner, you know, on national television. So I let them come into my apartment and showed them my name, my face, and just said, here's what we're doing. And Wow. So there's been a through line of psychedelics and you know, there's been a lot of through lines in my life, but I think that that through line combined with high performance through sports, 
spiritual discipline through meditation. These are all things that have been present in my life, my entire adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, extreme states of consciousness and then kind of coming back to a baseline and trying to integrate those in some way to my work and to the, into the world. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, (laughs) that's a, that's a pretty intense, um, story really of psychedelic resume. Yeah. 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 So what was the, what would you say the, biggest lesson is that you gained from all that work? Well, I mean, I think that the, 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 the psychedelic orientation of, um, like a particular kind of surrender, a particular type of surrender to the experience that one is having, like there's a, there's like a simultaneous radical responsibility for what, your experience is, but then also a surrender to that experience. And so I think the way that that has shown up practically is like when things are challenging, um, when difficult emotions or states show up that, um, giving myself space to breathe into them and to create space for the experience and to surrender to the experience and to trust that there's some deeper wisdom inherent in the overall system that I'm, that mm-hmm. I am in and also a part of, and also am on, on a bigger level, I think has been quite, quite helpful. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that that, that piece, and I think also just the general reflective nature of our, of our reality. So like in the same sense, like if one is going to take a classic psychedelic um, they're going to be confronted with parts of themselves that they may not be interested mm-hmm. in looking at. Um, and I think that's, that's just kind of true of life. If we're really paying attention to it, you know, it's going yeah. to force us to be present to whether it's in our business or in our romantic relationships or our family systems, like kind of just that space uh, offers a really rich opportunity for us to, to see parts of ourselves that are challenging, but worthwhile to spend time with. Yeah. And and then how did you go from uh, helping people through the, through the MDMA therapy yeah. to, uh, to coaching the, the, the high-level consciousness leader type yeah. of, of client that you see now? So my coaching really, you know, that's, I think coaching has also been another, has like been kind of a parallel through line. So mm-hmm. those weren't, um, those weren't like, uh, like serial processes. Those were kind of happening in parallel. So I've, I've been coaching in some capacity since I was, I guess you could say 19 years old when I was started working with athletes. And then I started to work with entrepreneurs. Um, and, and it really kind of, the coaching really was something that just people started just showing up. Like, honestly, they just started showing up. And, and uh-huh. you know, they would say, I want to learn from you. Can you mentor me in something? I see what you're doing. And this is interesting to me. Um, and then kind of that progressed into people saying, um, you know, so-and-so told me I should, I should convince you to accept money to work with me. I mean, I really, you know, and so I said, okay, I'll figure something out. And people reached out about that. And so I started to build like a little side business structure around them. And, um, you know, I, I, I've worked with some of the most incredible people on earth. And it it really is just serendipity, I think on some level. I mean, I, I really kind of just stopped fighting it and was like, there's a Dharma here of something that I'm supposed to do in some mm-hmm. way. And, um, 
it was always just people showing up in like strange ways, you know, so-and-so would get introduced to somebody then they would show up and they would have something they were particularly wanting to work on. And, um, we talk for 20 minutes and then we just, we'd start working together, you know? And I, and I think it really grew organically. There's a, I did my grad work in, um, in urban planning in, in Wisconsin, university of Wisconsin, Madison. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that I remember specifically from like how you design a space, um, there was a particular, maybe this was like a Disneyland. I can't remember where this was from, but this concept being like, if you design your space and you kind of wait before you pour the concrete for the sidewalks, you kind of just like let things evolve organically and you start to see where the people are naturally moving between buildings and such. And then you wait a year and then go through and then you pave the the paths that already exist. So to speak, you reinforce the existing pathways and connections. Um, I recognize that coaching for me was a lot like that. There was this natural flow of, energy or value exchange that was happening in a kind of a coaching mentorship role with people showing up. And so then I began to put um, more structures and things around that. Like I figured out how to price myself and I figured out what kind of structures worked for me. And I, I began to kind of refine that talent, so to speak, in a deeper way by studying and mentorship, et cetera. Hmm. I, as you were describing that, I, it makes me think of my trip back to my, my daughter's college where there's this brand new building with the brand new sidewalk and then yeah. there's the paths on the grass going to where every letter yeah. worn in <laughs> into yeah. the dirt right <laughs> yeah right. That's, well, the, uh, that's where that's where the paths are supposed to be they didn't, they just, no, one, no one bothered to pay attention to that you know yeah yeah, that's that's kind of that's like going with the flow right that's following yeah. where the path of least resistance and I think I think that this this orientation towards that sense of like um, it reminds me of I went hiking in Corsica last last spring. I did the GR twenty with one of my uh, best friends and mentors, Bowen Dwelly. Um, and uh, one of the things he taught me, you know, we were hiking through the mountains, and sometimes I would have my GPS and my map, and I'd be trying to figure out where to go. And his one of the bigger pieces I took away from that trip was he said, you know, the path is just where you where where you expect it to be, actually. Like you don't need to be so worried about where the path is on these mountains. Like just take a breath and look and you'll know where the path is supposed to be actually. Mm. And pretty soon I got that, that you just didn't need to, you didn't really need to be so concerned about the GPS coordinates. It's like humans have been here for thousands of years and we kind of know where we'd want to walk if you're going to walk across a mountain ridge. And I found that to be the case uh, more and more just in, my life and in the lives of my clients, you know, that there, we often will construct these artificial barriers and like they're, you know, we're trying to force people to walk along some certain path or something, but the, the path wants to emerge from what is, what's there if we listen to it. And if we look for it, you know, it's just, it's the path is where you expect it to be in many, in many ways. Yeah. I think sometimes that's the, the trick is the listening instead of just totally. building the sidewalk totally. <laughs> that, that yeah. goes to the street. So yeah. yeah. So what would you say Anthony has changed about how you work with your clients now and when you started? Well, I think that the biggest insight that I gained from like when I first started coaching it was always I mean you know there was a, there was always um 
very into like frameworks and process. And I remember my first had this like very specific program of like gratitude and like everything was very structured and like, you know, we're going to do all these things together. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I got really good results and it was, you know, an interesting experience for people. But I think that there was a limit to that. And, you know, one of the things that I learned through, through holding space for people in the psychedelic realm, there was a there was probably two big things that happened with that. The first was that for me, it was a very different experience in that I was very used to when I would start some kind of venture or do something, it would be something very like public. You know, I, I would be on the news or I'd be in the New York Times or I'd be going CNN or these different things always cover stuff that I did. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of used to like doing things and having a public spotlight aspect to it. Okay. And so being underground, it was like, I didn't even talk to my friends about it. It was just like, I've got this secret that I'm doing for years. And it was very humbling in that way, where it was like, it's just you and the client and the outside. And you're actually trying to prevent the outside world from knowing what's going on because it's, you know, at this point it's, it's an illegal practice to, to do. So I think that that was really good for my soul in a certain way. Like of, um, now, of course, whatever, like the end of that was going on PBS and kind of like, I still couldn't escape the spotlight eventually, <laughs> uh-huh. but I held it off for a few years at least. Um, so I think that was a big piece. And I think the second piece was that my mentor, I was really blessed to have one of the, one of the best mentors in the world, many of the best mentors in the world in this particular area. Some of the mm-hmm. old school people that had been, you know, therapists that kind of kept the light on, kept the candle burning for psychedelics for the last yeah. several decades while the rest of like kind of modern culture caught up to it. Um, and my, one of my mentors in particular, you know, he, he really stressed to me that we're not, um, he's like, you're not, a, like, you're not special, basically, you know, like you're just a human being like that's, and that's all you have to be. Like, you're not showing up as a magician or some shaman or something. He's like, you're do you're a guy, you're a 30 something guy. Yeah. Um, and your humanness is ultimately what is going to be the most powerful for these people. Like your humanness is enough. Yeah. You just show up, you hold space and you allow your presence to really do the work. And that was really tough to unwind from. Like, it was just kind of like, you know, where's the training? Where's the framework? Where's the, and what I really, what I recognized through that was that the core, the core of that was really a transmission that's happening to the people in that space, that their humanness is enough, that whatever they're showing up with in that, session or in that space um, for the day's work is enough. They don't have to be superhuman in some way, you know, just whatever they're with, that's going to be enough for them. And so that, you know, through, through, through hundreds of hours and years of being in that space with people holding space in such a way where I'm actually not, it's not the Anthony show. Again, it's not Anthony in the spotlight and this press. It's not Anthony at the CEO of the company. It's not Anthony even, coaching this person in some way it's like i'm preparing a space i'm holding a space and i'm making some subtle adjustments but ultimately my focus and their focus is on the inherent uh divinity you could say or the inherent power contained within that person and trusting in that i think yeah um, and so that has really had tremendous uh ripple effects you know i mean if somebody shows up in my coaching practice and it, and their life kind of sounds like a bad trip i treat it like they're having a bad trip on mushrooms it's like well let's take a minute let's breathe with it let's just let's surrender to what's happening and then i and i'm really trusting that they're the one that's going to do this work. i mean you know this is a code like it's not it, this is I mean, there's a million ways to get here i think i mean i think even in non-psychedelic coaching disciplines people will talk about empowering your client trusting in yeah. your power 
It was right. never more present for me or more palatable than through the psychedelic space, how important that is. Yeah. Because uh, if you get that wrong, you know, you really can, you know, you can cause harm in people's lives if you're screwing it up in a psychedelic space. I think it's any place, but ultimately that's such an amplifier for all things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, It's freeing. It's certainly freeing, but it's also, it can be confrontational to an ego that's brought up in a culture that wants credentialing and these specific things and all this stuff. And it's like, right. but I've spent all these years becoming a doctor to like, it's like, well, you know, just sit back a bit and let <laughs> this person heal because they, they want to heal. They want to move towards wellness and completion. Yeah. And I think that can, that's like you say, that can be one of those challenging things to be able to step back and allow, uh, allow that. Totally. And I think that that, I think that that shows up in coaching. I think that that shows up in leadership. I think that that shows up in uh, parenting. You know, I think yeah. this, is, this is sort of a fundamental unit or something of, of human relationship, you know, at the, the deepest level, there's like a lot, there's a way of, uh, it's not just, it's like not not caring. It's certainly it's certainly not that. You know, it's almost like the highest degree of care and respect and reverence for the person to give them the space to bump around yeah. and like you know and struggle a bit with what they're what they're going through. I'm trusting that's yeah. good for them. And when did you start working in uh, in in a breathwork modality? So it was really kind of concurrent to when I started doing the psychedelic work. You know, you know, just not quite a decade ago, but getting close. Um, I, my mentor was also running his own version of breath work kind of concurrently with psychedelic work. So I might go see this mentor for an afternoon with MDMA to do work on myself and then maybe go do a group weekend someplace, you know, with mm -hmm. folks doing breath work. And I started to recognize just how powerful that modality was and how useful it was for integration that one of the challenges i think when someone is pursuing a classic psychedelic path or a classic medicinal path transformation path is is to attribute what is going on to something that's not them and it's quite easy actually you take a mushroom or you take a piece you know take mdma crystal you can say wow the mdma was a really great i had the mdma was great you know and really what you're missing it. It's like, well, you're great, actually. Like that's yeah. what you experienced was you at the deepest level, and that's a challenge. I think. I think that I think that perhaps that's what Ram Das talked about when he said that um, he felt like at the beginning phases of his spiritual journey, the psychedelics kind of accelerated his development, but then the but then the fact that he had used psychedelics almost inhibited the growth later on in his career. Mm. You know, it's almost like they were this accelerant, but then it was like I had to kind of really do the work to. So that's how my, kind of my take on that perspective, and the and the breath work really. Um, there's no questioning that it's, that it's you, you know, it's like you're, it's your breath and music, you know, it's yeah. like maybe the music was great, but it's really hard to, to deny that the experience was coming from within you and can be just as, if not more powerful than a classic psychedelic, you know, molecularly potentiated altered state of consciousness. Um, so pretty quickly after I encountered it, you know, I began to study and began to integrate and, and hold space kind of with my mentor and in, in these ways, and then started to offer it myself, my own kind of version of it based on my experiences and um, the guidance that I had got. And um, I, I it just, it's such a cool thing. And every time I, every time that I do it, you know, I'm, I'm always, even when I'm, ho when I'm hosting people, I'm always kind of like, is, is we're just going to breathe. Like I'm, I'm always kind of, 
forget <laughs> that it's going to be super impactful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, really? And then we, and, then, and sure enough, you know, 95% of the people at the end of these experiences are just like, this is the most impactful thing I've done in my entire life. You know, yeah. breathe for two hours or something with music. And I'm, so I'm, I'm routinely blown away no matter how many times I do this, how interesting that spaces, you know, for people. Um, and we've worked with people, man, we've worked with companies. I've, I've done, you know, founder work, individual work. We, when the war broke out in the Ukraine, we reached out to a, a team that was over there and, um, we worked with a bunch of people that were kind of trying to figure out what to do with themselves. You know, their company was, they were like, their neighborhoods were being bombed and stuff. And uh-huh. we did death work with folks in the Ukraine remotely to help them. Um, and uh, we're, we're in talks to develop something bigger with that too, which I'll, at some point I'll, I'll share with you. Huh. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Where do you, Anthony, where do you continue to, to learn and grow? Like, where are you, how are you doing that now, nowadays? Yeah, it's been, it's been a while since I've had a classic psychedelic experience. It's been, might be four years or so, maybe longer. Um, but even when I was having those experiences, like, is the growth happening there? I think that, I think that those psychedelic experiences kind of show you where the growth, where the opportunity for growth is. And then, then you integrate and go to places. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that my daily practice, you know, I think that, um, I sit every morning for about a half an hour in prayer meditation and just mm-hmm. kind of, uh, process and, and I'm, I'm with myself and the things that are going on in my life in that way, inviting spirit into my life in a deep way to collaborate with me in whatever way, you know, is, is present. Um, I think that taking on, uh, just taking on more challenges. I've noticed that my appetite for challenge is, is growing in a certain way. Like just kind of the understanding that um, like I recently bought this uh, 73 Volkswagen uh, bug that really okay. was, was like a, it was like a pile of parts on the floor of the garage. <laughs> sure. And um, a big part of that was like, Oh, this is going to be a challenge. You know, it's not, it's like, yeah, we could build it and flip it and, you know, double work and make some money doing it if I wanted to. But it was really more like, this is going to be tough. Like, I'm going to learn something, you know, from this. And I think that that, um, that desire to kind of put yourself, put myself outside my comfort zone in a way with the support of some people that I trust, I really feel like I'm finding that more and more uh, all over the place. Um a willingness to have difficult and challenging conversations, you know, romantically or my family system. Yeah. Um, I think that these things are just, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of just the, that they're all just kind of like a dojo. They're all kind of this inherently psychedelic space. And so it's like, I'm just stoked to be able to go into places and grow and have the challenge, you know, that's taking place there. Nature is a big deal. I'm getting ready to go on a hike. Uh, I spend a week or so up in the Sierras with my adventure partner. Um, and I think just continuing the work of deepening into mastery around the things that I'm doing. So like deepening into mastery on coaching and really kind of studying some of the, the masters and the, his, the, the kind of, um, histor- I guess you could say the, the his, historical masters of coaching and things and kind of spending time with their bodies of work. Um, I've been teaching more. I recognize that I hit a certain point, like even with sales like understanding the sales process that I created a small group to just like teach sales. Cause I realized that 
like there's certain skills that I've developed a certain level of mastery that I'm not going to, I'm not going to progress beyond unless I'm teaching in some sure. way. Yeah. So um, really setting up some teaching and mentorship spaces for myself to just teach, teach coaching or teach some of the things that I've learned um, along the way, because I think that that ultimately, I, like I said, I think that there's a certain way that I, I'm not going to grow if I don't, I'm not formally teaching in some capacity in these things. I think it's kind of part of the way that works. Mm-hmm. And I really am just so blessed that the, the people that I work with professionally, like the coaching space, um, I feel so challenged by these folks. And it's so it's a confrontation. It's a beautifully confrontational space, and it's really asking of me to be and to bring forth myself in a in a deeper way. And um, it's like. It's become like looking for opportunities to do that and to express and to kind of bring a vulnerable version of myself into into that into the work. Um, and I, I continue to work with mentors, you know, in, in different different ways. Who are your mentors? Who are the mentors that I'm working with right now? Yeah. I mean? yeah. Um, you know, I've been. Let me think through who I can. I mean, I really, I really dove back into coactive coaching recently. You know, the, the book Coactive Coaching. I can't remember the, the author. I forget the name of the author of this book, but I really have been uh, spending time with coactive coaching. Um, there's a hand. There's a, there's a handful of mentors that I can't name in the psychedelic space because they're still underground practitioners. And so, okay. I, you know, I'd love yep. to see that. But um, there's a there's a book by uh, a pseudonym uh, and other called Trust, Surrender, Receive. I wrote a chapter in that book, and and other is sort of the pseudonym of um one of my mentors in that space um i i've found uh recently been doing some work with um jason gaddis's relationship school jason's mm-hmm. been an old friend of mine for you know the last decade or so and mm, okay I, I recently revisited working with um with some people in his group around relationship and uh, that's been that's been really phenomenal um and I, my buddy Bowen, man, my buddy Bowen really has been like this last year, I think just in the practical spaces of adventure, um, he's really got an interesting take on masculinity and um, adventure, intuition and life and entrepreneurship. Um, he's about a decade older than I am. We met back when we were both in grad school together and um, mm-hmm. he had invested in a company of mine and we, you know, we've had a lot of adventures together in that way. Um, and so that's, um, he's been a real big influence in that way. And I, I should also mention that like, I've had, a, I've had, a, I've mentioned this before in interviews, like I, um, I've had, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with my dad this year and mm-hmm. my father is, um, my dad, Ken Adams, he's, uh, just a brilliant educator. He, he was, you know, a college professor, went on to be Dean of Education at a university, really interested in developmental education, psychology, learning methodologies. He's also a, a coach for a number of years. And I still find some of my best inspiration comes from time I spend with my dad. I feel like he's been such a good mentor for me in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot of woodworking in a shop together. And it's like, it's just rich with metaphor for life. And so I really sure. appreciate the time that I get to spend with him. Um, I become I become like friends with a lot of my mentors i think you know i think that's been kind of a cool thing is over the years people like i've read their book or something and then they've become people that i now hang out with and spend time with and that's been yeah kind of a cool process yeah those are uh gifts 
when we have that opportunity. Totally. Yeah. What would you say there, there's something that uh, people, other coaches should either start doing or stop doing? Well, um, they should stop uh, friend requesting me on Facebook and then trying to slide in my DMs and ask me how my coaching is <laughs> going. <laughs> oh, it's not just me, huh? <laughs> This morning somebody somebody was like and it's always like you know i have like one friend in common with somebody and then they're always like very inquisitive on business and stuff i think this morning i told somebody that i've got a, i've got a new a new program they're like how's your coaching i'm like it's great i've got this new program called how to how to close 50k clients without sliding people's dms you know that you don't know <laughs> um <laughs> you know what should coaches and people what should they start doing what should they stop doing um such a big question. You know, I, I give me a second, just cause I, I, w- I would like to give that a, a good, a good answer. Um, you know what I would say? I think that, um, hmm. do you want me to come back? I feel like I'm like 20 seconds away from like a good, okay. a good answer. Um, I think, I mean, I think it comes back to, to what I mentioned about sitting for people. You know, I think that, I think that if more coaches can remember the power of their humanness, the power of, of really who they are kind of beyond their, training and credentialing and their frameworks or their psychedelic medicines or all of that, that like the, the beneath all of that is, um, is a person like they're, that they are a powerful divine being and that their relationship with themselves in that, in that way um, is going to translate into a, a transformative relationship with the client. And, and I think that that's going to give them a mm-hmm. lot more freedom to challenge people in deeper ways. Um, kind of go outside of, of what they think is possible. So I think that's a piece. I think that's what I would like to see people doing more of and, um, or I would invite people to do more of, you know, yeah. and I think in terms of, you know, doing less of, um, just like less bullshit, like just, just less bullshit, more, uh, you know, just less comparing to other people, to other folks in your industry. Also like less thinking that you're super unique. Like everyone's really unique, but also just like, you know, it's like, I see people kind of talking shit about each other or something. I kind of am just not that turned on by, turned on by that, you know? Um, And I think also like not getting so caught up in all the new flashy things, you know, like, I I don't think that every coach needs to add like a mushroom microdosing protocol to their thing, you know, or whatever it is. Like, I think that there's a lot of, and it certainly could, you know, they could add things to what they're doing, but I think that people have really solid, there's some really solid tools out there and, and, and to trusting in them to double down on themselves, you know, it's like not getting caught up in having to, 
find the next big thing they're going to add into their practice in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, I think that these things can be helpful and it's certainly useful to have an understanding of them, but I think that the power is coming from within them and from the relationship they have with themselves and with spirit and with their, with, you know, with life and with the client sitting in front of them. I think that's where the real, the real power happens for people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I resonate it. I feel like you're like speaking to my soul right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Uh, What would you say in your view is most understood about coaching in the kind of general public's mind? Is most mis- most understood misunderstood. or most misunderstood? Mis- most misunderstood. Um, you know, it's. I think that I think that there's a lot of skepticism around coaching, and I, I don't. I don't think that it's. Um, it's not. It's not like it's not even unfair skepticism, right? I mean, I think that there's a lot of stuff and. And super intense sales methodologies and giving people have been disillusioned. I think some people have burned by coaching or bad experiences or something. And I think that there's sure. like, you know, there's like a particular way that um, I think that more, there's like, there's like a defense structure that I think some coaches kind of hide behind, which is this like, you know, it's, it's like, how can I, how can I point at it? It's like it's true to a large degree that the client is ultimately responsible for their success and what they're up to, but there's also a degree of responsibility on the side of the coach. You know? So I think that I think that there's some there's yeah. conversation gathering. But your question was, what do people misunderstand about coaching? Um, well, I think um, that something's like that you have to be broken or something is like wrong with you to get coaching. Mm. You know, I think that, I think that sometimes people can, can feel like that they need to do everything on their own or that hiring a coach is, is somehow, I don't know, like it's weak or it's like not a valuable investment. I mean, you certainly can get burned and you can certainly over rely upon coaching and support structures in your life. Those are true things, but um, I think that for for many people, there that there's they can find a person that resonates with them, speaks to their souls. You mentioned like that kind of a vibe. Um, that relationship can be so powerful and so transformative for somebody in their life. It's really it really is something that, and it it really is the relationship. I think that it's a quality of the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a quality of what they co-create together. Um, also, you know, coaching isn't going to solve all people's problems, but that's obviously it's not going to solve people's problems for them. Like just to like check a box. So they have a coach. I've been guilty of this. You know, I remember signing sure. up for like, I was like, and, and, like making more money as a coach. and like, really like believe in coaching as a like, hiring coaches for everything. You know, we're like hiring this like vegan bodybuilding coach or something. Yeah. And, um, kind of dawned on me that I would actually have to like go to the gym. I couldn't just pay a high, like a high ticket price to this coach to like get to look like a bodybuilder. <laughs> and, um, and I got no results in this program and I was happy to pay whatever the third is like a $3,000 thing or something. It's 3000 bucks. And mm-hmm. I was happy to pay it in the sense that I was happy to feel the pain of spending three grand on something that I didn't utilize and, and not go into like blaming this other person. Cause I had a great program, this whole thing. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> this is a good lesson. I'll be sure I'm going to utilize a program when I do it. And also just a reminder, it's like, I have to take, you know, it's like, I can't just 
fill my calendar bunch of coaching programs and hope that that's going to solve the thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think, um, it's almost like, it's almost like with psychedelics. I think that like for a long time, a lot of my conversations were like some people would probably benefit from like more psychedelics, other people, maybe less, you know, it's like depending on whether they're in their journey. Yeah. Maybe that's true with coaching. It's like for some people, like more coaching is going to support them. Like there's a, there's like a, a way they can go deeper into it and they can invest in it. And for other people, maybe it's time to like take a step back, have some space, integrate, you know, from it, allow yourself, allow yourself some breathing room um, to kind of find your own, your own way. I didn't always get that as a coach. I'd have clients that would want to leave or something. I'd be like, did I fail them or something? And I, I, I came to realize that it's like, Many people actually need some space. They need integration time. They need to take a year yeah. or two to go off and do something. And 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 um, sometimes and, and and those clients often would come back. And sometimes it'd be like shit. I'd be like, well, I think you would have probably got a lot more done if you would have stuck around, you know, for three years as opposed to taking two years off. But other times it's like they come back with a different perspective and it's a different energy and they're like super stoked to do the work and like we had a great year together, you know. So um, kind of tangential to your question here, but I think that um, yeah. Yeah, it, in the right context, man, it can be it can be such a powerful thing, and don't overlook it. And it really can accelerate and speed up um, learning, and it can allow you to go to places that you wouldn't normally be able to go. And I would say, if you're resisting coaching, if you have if you feel like there's a resistance around it, there's often a chance that there is some part of yourself that you've just been hiding from so long. But the only way to keep doing that would be to not invest in coaching, you know. And so there's like mm. resistance to it in that way. Sure. And and, and I, I'm seeing that in my own life in some certain in some areas now, especially around intimate relationship, where I was working with a coach, mm. and I'm like, oh, like the conversations that she's asking me to have or encouraging me to have, um, simple, like two to three sentence con like sentence fragments that I'm like, <laughs> this is like I would rather go climb Mount Everest. This is terrifying, <laughs> you know. And I know that I wouldn't. I could spend my whole life not having a space to even explore that that's like an edge of my development, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, you, you're, you mentioned integration and I know integration is really a, a vital part of uh, what you do. Uh, how, how, if somebody has had one of these peak experiences, whether yeah. it is psychedelics or really climbing yeah. Mount Everest, really, or any one of these kinds of things. Yeah. What, what's a, what's a practical way that yeah. you found to help integrate that? Well, I think that it helps to have a, have kind of a, an understanding of what integration really is. And there's a, a beautiful metaphor that um, one of my dear, dear friends and mentors, uh, a, a, a therapist by the name of Dr. Neil Goldsmith, he wrote the book psychedelic healing um, the metaphor that he shared with me early on in my journey, which was, the peak experience, in this case, psychedelic experience, you could think of it akin to like a sand dune. It's like you get this big hill of sand on a beach. And if mm. you want that to stay, if you want to be able to have that dune stay, you need to do something to keep it there. You need to kind of plant seagrass into it so that something can take root and then hold it there. And if you don't, the next storm or the next wind is going to come and blow that thing right away. Right. So for me, that was a really good metaphor for what integration practice is. The integration is the planting of the seagrass so that then you have this peak experience. Um, it's, I believe integration is a, it's a, it's a process of taking a peak state 
and 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 moving into a stage, right? This idea of stage state versus stage development that states are kind of like we we poke our head up over the clouds for a second and we see what's up there and then we go back down. And then stages, mm-hmm. we've actually done the work to now have that level of development. We've moved to a new level of development. Mm-hmm. So I think integration is part of that kind of moving from a state into a stage where it becomes kind of a baseline for us. So one of the best ways to integrate an experience is just to spend time returning back to the experience. So it could be, and you could think of a peak, but it's also like a valley, right? If you think of like the peak experiences in our life, it could be a traumatic experience. It could be something that's transformative, like beautiful psychedelic work, could be falling in love, you know, it could, could be yep. your first child or something. And you know, all these, these big life experiences, um, making time to revisit it consciously. You know, so in this, in, in the sense of like in a psychedelic practice, often I would encourage people to, um, like go back to your couch, put on, like get under a blanket, put an eye mask back on, put on a playlist that you use, like during that psychedelic experience and mm-hmm. allow yourself to remember what it felt like in your body. Give yourself mm-hmm. an opportunity to remember the the state of consciousness that you were in and what it was like to have that embodied in, in your system. And I find the same to be true if someone has you know, if they've won a championship, you know, or they've gone through something really traumatic, right? It's like part of that traumatic experience is like, hey, let's return back to that time. Let's stay present to the experience. Let's re let's reintegrate what was really going on in that place to bring new perspective. So I think that just that, just the sense of giving someone space to just actively remember the feelings that are going on in that, in that, in that, in the moment. Um I think that breath work is a great tool for integration. I think that can be a really powerful tool. Um, and I think that journaling, in particular, mandala journaling, which is part of Young's practice, uh, to, to take and to draw a mandala each morning when you wake for a period of 40 days, to fill it in with something that represents your internal state, and then to free write for three, three pages. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really a powerful tool to be able to kind of bring, let, let some of these things settle into our nervous system and to kind of be in our, um, kind of into our body. And, and finally, I think, um, one of the things that I've always stumbled upon, you know, is like this, I mean, I think maybe I first encountered this with Ken Kesey and, and, and the electrocolate acid test, that book about kind of the Mary pranksters yeah. and kind of the introduction of LSC to American culture. He, he, at the end of that book, if you recall, there's this sense where he's like, man, everyone's doing all this acid. No one's doing anything. They're all taking the acid test, but no one's actually graduating. So he stages this big event that's kind of the graduation. And his thing is like, you got to take what you're learning and go do something with it. If all you're doing is coming back and tripping every weekend, you're missing it, you know? Yeah. And I think that that idea that this journey inward that we're making, it's a, it's a necessary and piece of required work. But if it doesn't end with some change, some step into the external world, like what's the point really? We haven't really done anything in, mm-hmm. in, that, in that sense. And so having a mindset that I'm going to, I'm going to find something from this experience that I'm going to go alchemize. I'm going to make, I'm going to do something with it. You know, I'm going to show up in some particular different way. I'm going to create a new relationship. I'm going to create some artifact of that experience. Yeah. Uh, I think is a, is a, is a really important piece of it, that there has to be some creative process that is initiated by that work to really then, you know, it's like psychedelic rock was an integration of the psychedelic experience into art, into culture. It's a representation yeah. of what those states of consciousness were, for example. So, um, yeah. 
And I, I know that, uh, I know this cause we talked about this earlier. You have, uh, you have a couple of gifts for the, the listeners that are, that's right in line with what you just discussed. So why, why don't you tell us what you're, what, we're, yeah, what you so can expect? We would love to give everyone listening and, you know, just to share freely with your communities. Um, first of all, is a copy of our book, uh, my book called the Mandala work. It, it's mm-hmm. a 40 day uh, integration journal. I, I just described the process, you know, two minutes ago to you. Yep. Um, but if you'd like a um, kind of, you know, some more history on it and some journal pages that you can go through, it's a 40 day process. I'd love to gift a copy of that to anybody that is curious about it and would like to use it as a tool. Um, it's something that's now being used really all over the world from uh, therapists and psychedelic sitters, et cetera, just that people use that as a part of their practice. I, I use it regularly, go back through and do this 40 day process. It's like 10 minutes every morning. Um, so that's a, that's a, a tool that people can, can have access to and they can, they can do with that what they like. And then also I would love to invite everybody listening to come be a guest of us at Biomythic. So to be a VIP guest of mine for a live uh, psychedelic breathwork experience, this will be a multi-hour, usually two hour uh, experience with other uh, company founders and creative, interesting explorers. Um, so we'll give it, give folks an opportunity to come and experience that. I will facilitate that. And, um, I think that, that that can be, that can be both an integrating, an integrating experience and also a peak experience. So it's kind of a cool experience to be able to have that yeah. in your toolkit and to be a part of that community that can help you, uh, help navigate. So we'd love to gift both of those to people. So whatever they're, they can take both, they can take one of the other, you know, however they feel like they'd be served by it. Fantastic. I'll, I'll make sure that those links are in the notes. Yeah, we, I would say we'll set up, we'll set up a link at biomythic.com slash superstates. Yeah. So B I O M Y T H I C.com slash superstates. I'll make sure that we have that set up by the time this podcast goes live so they can get access to the ticket for a biomythic event and then a copy of the book for sure. Fantastic. And how do you envision the future of these super states uh, for personal or even professional growth? I mean, I think that, I think that as long as we've been human, altered states of consciousness have been a part of our, a part of mm-hmm. our experience. And so I, I think that the, you know, it's just the, the idea of moving into new states of consciousness, moving back to a baseline, integrating, moving forward, creating artifacts. That's like, as, as long as we've been, we've been humans, that's been part of being human. Yeah. And I imagine that's going to continue. And I think that we're, I think that there's now such a, it's like many things in our, in human culture, there's things that were just so innately part of our culture um, that we kind of, we didn't realize how, how integral they were. And it wasn't until we started to kind of drift away from them that it became <laughs> how, how important they were. And so now there's this conscious study and, and kind of conscious reintegration back to using altered states of consciousness and studying flow and studying the psychedelic yeah. space and the transpersonal. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that as our culture evolves, that there's a, a deeper integration and understanding of, um, of these states of consciousness in service to us having, you know, more deeply regulated nervous systems and more creative capacity, more connection uh, with one another, more insight. And really we'll just, that, that, that those altered, that those states of consciousness will continue to kind of fuel 
humanity and really our two biggest advantages as a species, which have been our capacity for collaboration and our capacity for creativity. You know, I think those have been our competitive mm. advantage, so to speak. And so the consciousness piece and the altered states have been a huge part of that, uh, part of that for us. So I think you'll start to see more things with, um, you know, electronics and computers and these things. But I also think that that, and we've, we've actually built some, we built an open source psychedelic therapy light you can get for free if you want, you know, induces psychedelic states through flashing lights and a computer mm-hmm. system. But I also think that the interest in this is going to also create, um, or at least is the potential to create, you know, people really finding the opportunities for this in these more traditional ways, like through prayer, through meditation, through breath work, yeah. through doing endurance running, all of these like endurance sports, getting out into nature. Um, so I think that we're going to be having an aware, an awakening and awareness to it. And um, I think, I think it's going to become much more deeply integrated, you know, in, in everything that we're up to. And in, in a way, our whole culture is stepping into that peak experience, stepping back and then integrating it. Yeah. I think that, I think there's going to be, I, I, that's a good way of putting it, but the culture itself is now moving into this peak experience. And so the, the challenge or the opportunity is for us to say, can, can we begin to integrate these things more deeply? How can we integrate yeah. what we're learning in, 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 in this way in a much, much deeper way? Yeah. What's the one insight you want the audience to leave with today? That life, you know, that the that life is inherently psychedelic. You know, that life inherently is uh, here to reveal. You know, psychedelic in the sense like it's mind manifesting or revealing your soul to you. That it's here to show you your soul, show you what's really true about you, and that's available in every moment. You know that it's um, by taking a breath, by being more present to what's happening, by really just paying attention to what is going on in a particular facet of our life that um the whole thing is inherently psychedelic in that way and yeah. so keeping that perspective keeping that orientation at least keeping it within arm's reach that you can kind of put pick that up and try that on in a particular environment or particular situation it can be quite useful to have that perspective handy um, if it's not going to be one that's being kind of worn all the time yeah love it and and if people want to learn more about you anthony what's the best way for them to do that well, they should just go learn about themselves, Joshua. You know, it's the best way to know about me. <laughs> they, can, they, can, they, can, uh, they can check out anthonydavidadams.com. They can go to earthpilot.org. Um, I'm also at Anthony David Adams on Instagram. And if anybody wants to email me for any reason, uh, they can send an email to anthony at 175g.com. So there's some different different average. I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Joshua. Great to be here.